Welcome to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast, where a group of budget-minded hunters scour the woods for whitetail bucks and whatever other big game is in season. Tune in each week to hear the hilarious public and private land hunting stories and mistake-filled lessons learned. We believe that every hunt brings us closer to God and that we exist to share the good news. And now, your hosts, Christian Babcock and Jake Gaylord. Listen, guys, we wouldn't be able to do the podcast if it wasn't for you all. So we just want to say that you guys are greatly appreciated, and thank you for following along each week. And speaking of support, we are partnered with Out and Only Manufacturing, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, Matt and Chase are great down-to-earth guys, and they make some of the best saddle hunting products out there. Whether you're looking for a set of climbing sticks or a mobile, lightweight, hang-on tree stand, or maybe you're even a one-sticker, you mean tree pilates yes tree pilates if you've been to the grocery store or the gas station lately you know that uncle joe is doing his absolute worst to take all your money that's why we need hunting gear that lasts year after year and trust me i've been rocking the same out on a limb shikar climbing sticks for four years and the ridge runner 2.0 saddle hunting platform for a few years as well this gear is built to last. We can confidently say that Out on a Limb is the best bang for your buck. And it's the best gear if you want to deflate a big old buck. Ooh. Make sure you use code HNTA15 at outonalimbmfg.com for 15% off anything on their website. So if you could show them the same support that you guys show us, please go to outonalimbmfg.com and use code HNTA15 for 15% off at checkout. Now let's get back to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunters Advantage podcast. Today we're joined by a special guest, uh, Alan Tenta. You guys might know him from season 10 winner of Alone. Thanks for jumping on with Alan. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Good to be here. Me and Jake are, we have uh, watched survival shows and these kind of shows forever. Mm -hmm. I, I remember watching Naked and oh, Afraid, Dual Survivor, Man Survival. Versus, uh, what was it? Uh, Man, Woman, Wild is what I'm thinking of. Hmm. Yeah. All those sort of shows growing up. And we were talking a little bit before the podcast how we all enjoy bow hunting. So I'm sure we'll get into some of that. But um, we have a, an admiration for this kind of stuff. And it's so impressive when someone can go in and not only participate in the show, but win a show. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit before we get into kind of the meat and potatoes of your season and some hunting and stuff like that. How to what's, what is your background for people that are just now introduced to you on our podcast? Like, where are you from? How did you kind of get into all the wilderness stuff? Have you always been a hunter, that sort of stuff? Well, I, I was, uh, I was born in Quebec, which is on the other side of Canada. My parents moved to British Columbia when I was really young. And uh, they, we moved to a place called the West Kootenays when I was like in grade two, which isn't far from where I am now. I'm actually in the East Kootenays now, which is, is in BC. And uh, my parents bought a small piece of property at the end of a kind of a lonely road. And uh, I grew up there. And that's kind of where I where I kind of fell in love with, with the outdoors. There was a small creek up below my house, just about a... Uh, probably a mile mile and it was full of brook trout so that's where i used to walk down by myself dig some worms up at my neighbors and that's where i really started loving fishing just the excitement of it right like feeling feeling that fish on the end of your rod and that's where i also got into uh in, into hunting and archery uh, my, my my dad got me a little bow when i was uh 
I don't know, probably grade four or five. It was a 30 pound bear recurve, just like fiberglass. And I started uh, hunting grouse with that. And then my dad later introduced me to the 22 and the 20 gates. And we were hunting grouse below our property and, and fishing. And But I never really got into, and I always loved archery. I always had bows, but I didn't really start getting into bow hunting until I, my first teaching job where I moved north to a place called Fort Nelson. And uh, I really got into bow hunting there. And that's where my, I was like 24, 25. And that's when my passion really and it's, it hasn't slowed down since, since then. It just has grown every year. And then I got, then I grew into loving fly fishing. And so now I'm pretty much, that's all I do is fly fishing now. And yeah, I've been a teacher, a classroom teacher, uh, from, I've taught from grade six all the way up to grade 12 for 28 years. And I just, uh, took you after I won the show, I've taken a year off this year. That's what I say, but I'm, I'm still going back to the school once in a while being a substitute teacher, you know, keeping my connection with the kids and stuff. And uh, I taught outdoor education as I, I kind of I started this course at the high school, and that's and actually the students are the ones that convinced me to apply for the show because every Friday we used to carve. Um, just we used to work on bushcraft knife skills. They had like the carving stick, and they work on it all year, and so they'd have this finished product with all the bushcraft cuts, right? And I used to put on old episodes of Alone on the big screen while they were carving, just you know, a good Friday activity. And uh, they, they started seeing that a lot of the stuff on the show is what we were, the skills we were learning, like, you know, fire lighting, tarps, shelters, uh, you know, fishing. Because we, I took them, we tie flies and learn how to fly fish and we go ice fishing. Like, Mr. Tenta, why don't you apply for the show? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, ah, why would I want to do that? I don't like starving, man. I like to eat. <laughs> and, then, and then the same thing happened the following year and uh, they convinced me to apply and then somebody sent me, like, I think the ad was on Facebook, casting call, you know, season 10. And, and it was just like an email. Like, it was so easy. Like, okay. And they just wanted your name, your age, uh, your basic background. It was literally a blurbable that big. And I fired it away. And a couple of days later, I got this other form back. It was a lot longer, filled that out. And then it just all went from there over a series of months, uh, making it to, to the end. And, uh, yeah, that's it. And so, bow hunting, fishing, teaching, uh, just being outside, camping with the family. I'm, I'm just an average Joe, man. I'm a weekend warrior. <laughs> <laughs> so after the fact of the uh, of the show, did the school, you know, did you talk to the school about a raise or something on your outdoor <laughs> class? Like, hey, no raise. apparently I know my stuff. <laughs> no raise. No, no, no raise. Uh, I did have to go back, like, after it was over because I, I – there was one person that did know that I, I had to tell my boss, the superintendent, that when I when I was getting close, like when I made it to boot camp and it was down to the final 24 out of 43,000 people, I'm like, holy crap. Good God. I should probably let my suit. I, I, I really believe then that I actually had a chance of getting on the show, right? Because it was just it's just a pipe dream. I was just doing it for fun, something to do. And uh, I told I told my superintendent, so if I get on the show, like I'm going to have to make up a lie that I'm up north guiding with a buddy or something. And uh, she and she granted me my leave for the year, so she was the only one that knew, besides my wife and a few really close friends. Uh, so everyone thought I was just taking a semester off, but you know the show was over, and I was back, and I'd lost seventy eight pounds, almost eighty pounds. So I had to kind of like lay low. Then I had to go back to work. Uh, so I, I got back in I don't know December, and I had to go to go back to work at the end of January. 
and teach full time. I had to finish off that year and still not even ever tell anybody I was even on, even on the show, the show. Right. So I had to teach it. And people, a couple of kids were, were suspicious because my undergraduate class knew that I had applied. I told them that I applied, but once I started moving on in the, in the application process, then I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't tell them. So then finally it was in May, I think when they started advertising, putting on the commercials, finally I could tell them, it's like, Hey, guess what? I wasn't up guiding. It was like, what? So it was, <laughs> but I, I only had them for, I only had two or three weeks of teaching uh, before um, the, we're out for summer holidays. So summer vacation. Can you imagine you're a kid and you come back and your teacher six months later lost 78 pounds or probably like, this is a new guy. Yeah. This isn't the same guy. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't come out of my house basically for, I had to really beef up before I, I made appear. I made brief appearances around town, but I always had a hoodie on and my hat and, you know, stuff, tried to keep a low profile. I hit the gym pretty hard to get some of my muscle mass back and stuff. So I didn't look so, so skinny you know there's most of my face i had these big pockets but it came back pretty fast came back pretty fast Hmm. yeah so how does that uh vetting process go for the show like you said you went to a boot camp so how how do they i guess narrow that that down so uh after the application process uh like the initial forms and stuff then yeah i I got a phone call from a casting director who just kind of interviewed me and talked to me on the phone to make sure I could like, you know, carry a conversation. Wasn't a, wasn't a fool of, of, you know, just wasn't a doorknob that was a big mouth, (laughs) whatever these, they want to talk to you. Right. And then Mm -hmm. once you, and then, okay. Uh, then they set up a zoom meeting and they want to meet you in camera and, and, you know, can you carry on a conversation, all that stuff. And then uh, if they like you after that, then they ask you to make videos. And that, that was the biggest part of the application process. They send you this big package of all, all the skills they want to see you do. So uh, we had to go out in the bush and do a solo overnight, just build build a shelter or whatever. And it was March. Like it was still minus five at night when I was doing that, minus 10 Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Cold. Uh, yeah, it's cold. <laughs> and I uh, just made a bunch of videos, had to send them in. It's just so much waiting. Uh, you're always waiting, and then you, you get another notification. Okay, then you do the next step. Then you have to do get a physical, and you have to do a, a swimming test, and uh, you have to meet some other guy. And did you do? It's there's a whole bunch of paperwork and a whole bunch of meetings. It's a very long process. And then finally, at the end of a bunch of that stuff, um, I got the call that I, that I made boot camp, which I think it was four or five days. It used to be live, but this was during COVID. So we had to do it on uh, on Zoom. So there was 24 pictures of all the other people that might be on the show, plus some casting directors, plus some producers, and you're basically hanging around there all day, talking, chatting. You know, you want to you want to you want to speak, and there was kind of a strategy to this too. You didn't want to be too loud and annoying, but you didn't want to be in the corner not saying anything, right? So, and so the advice I I watched some videos from other people that had made the show those that are on YouTube. They just said, be yourself. So that got me through the whole process, through the whole show. I was just myself. I didn't try to put on a mask or, or anything like that. And, uh, you know, we had to do, we had to do a series of survival tests, uh, one-on-one well, through it, through the computer. They tell you to do certain things, ask you a bunch of questions. Um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was quite a process. And then once boot camp's over the four or five days, whatever it was, um, then you wait some more. It was like another six weeks. And I got the call. I got the call on July 1st that I'd made the show. And uh, yeah, that, that was it. 
you talked about earlier, you were kind of a weekend warrior growing up, you know, did you just acquire all these skills through camping, fishing, hunting through growing up that you could teach uh, your students and therefore utilize, or how did you, is there a question. formal learning process toward that uh, sort of stuff? That's a good question. A lot of it was just, uh, my, my biggest assets were fishing and hunting, right? Like I, and all the other skills I, I learned through just an interest in my, through reading and, and watching, like it's always been an interest of mine, but primarily through teaching the outdoor education course, because I, I had to develop, I developed that program and it's always been an interest to me. Like, like for example, friction fires, I would never have learned and practiced and, and worked on all the types of friction fire unless it was an outdoor ed teacher because I instruct those skills. Like I want, I want the kids to learn how to do that. Um, like shelter building, outdoor education, um, all the ways to put up all the different ways to set up a tarp outdoor education. Right. So all those things help, but I'd say maybe 50, 50 it was. And, uh, and plus when you know, you make the show, then you really start diving into oh, the deeper depths of bushcraft, survival, edible plants, the medicinal value of plants, all that stuff. So I had a, I had a pretty good knowledge um, going in. Again, I wasn't lying to, to the show. I told them, I go, wild, wild edibles are, are my weakness. It's not something that I've always been really, you know, worried about. Cause when I go on hunting trips, man, my backpack's full of, full of mountain house and, uh, you know, oh, yeah. dehydrated meals and whatever I can carry, beef jerky and dehydrated fruit and peanut butter and jelly and bread. So I never, so being in the bush without food was never on, on my mind. So that's one thing I really dove into and learned were all the wild edibles that were available in that area and, and the medicinal value of plants. Those were, those were my, my, my weak points, but I, I knew that um, hunting and fishing and shelter building and, navigation and knowing where the fish are knowing how to hunt archery grouse especially being in northern canada you know i, I felt i felt pretty confident about that and uh yeah by weekend warrior i mean like i've been working full-time my whole life you know what i mean I, it's not like i i own a sur- i run a survival school or i'm a military survival expert or you know a, a, you know i train people for the military to survive and in the worst sort of conditions like and, and a lot of people have those skills, right? A lot of people come from back pretty intense backgrounds of uh, survival and bushcraft and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I had the, I had the basics and whatever I felt my weaknesses were, I, I studied like a dog, like I dove in <laughs> all the way and practiced and yeah, it's just something that I've always liked to do. And I gained a lot of skills through, through teaching these courses throughout my life. Yeah. I know okay. you grew up in, and you said you spent a lot of time in, as a child, and you still live in BC. Yeah. Um, so, what kind of what kind of big game animals do you hunt in BC versus what would be available where you're going to be hunting in northern Saskatchewan, where you are at on the show? Uh, well, I live in I live in a really I'm lucky to live where I do because you name the big game and it's it's, it's here. Uh, so I live within miles of my house. There's there's grizzly bears, cougars, black bears, moose elk white-tailed deer mule deer and wolves yeah <laughs> you need a neighbor that's awesome <laughs> so yeah like when, when i go white whitetail hunting my stand is about a 10 minute 15 minute drive and then i walk about two or three kilometers into the bush 
and that's why I can jump out after school. And, that, and that's for that's my white tail elk stance. Um, yeah, very very close. Um, just across, looking out my window, there's a mountain that I that I hunt on across the valley, and uh, I I had a wolf chase a, a cow and calf elk right underneath my stand. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. I've had some pretty scary experiences with grizzly bears, just a few kilometers from my house. Uh, I don't know if you watched my YouTube channel, but I got uh, mm-hmm. I, that bear. I got I had a weird, ex- really weird experience with the black bears here. I was actually filming a recap video. Uh, I think it was episode nine or ten, and I got I got run by this black bear, and I got some of it on camera, just just flashes of it, and that was literally just down the road from my house and about a five minute walk off the highway, just because I, I find this place where no one's gonna bug me when I'm filming, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when you know no dog walkers or mountain bikers that are just gonna and then this stupid bear bugged me yeah and he, he wouldn't leave he just man most of the time you clap your hands and yell at a black bear they're gone but this guy just stood there staring at me like he was sizing me up just like a dog that's like a kind of an aggressive dog that's scared but not scared deciding what he wants to do and i and, and he never moved i had to i'm the one that had to back out of there so and yeah, I had nothing, and I had nothing with me. I didn't have, I, and I usually bring bear <laughs> spray, but I didn't even have bear spray. So I couldn't imagine living where you do, just because the worst thing we have down here. I mean, we have a few black bear down here, but that's mainly in the southeast corner of Oklahoma. But so that just leaves coyotes, and oh, still I here to say coyotes too. Yeah, well, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I mean because uh, yeah, sometimes like out in the countryside and stuff the more smaller dogs usually don't stand a chance just because, you know, we have cottage running all, all around out here. And so I yeah. couldn't imagine if you add a few more predators to that. I mean, if it, I just feel like it'd be a bad day to be a dog is all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I don't know very many people. Like my dog got attacked uh, this year, but it got attacked by a doe and just hmm. uh, like I was taking him for a walk and it was actually on my property at the top of my house where I let him off the leash and he was ripping down and, but there was a, a doe, with two they're pretty they're 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 pretty old but uh she stood up and just double stomped him numerous times he was okay they were just all glancing blows mm-hmm. but uh, i haven't heard of many people losing losing their cats or dogs from where i mean i mean we're in town right i mean uh, we do have a lot of town deer mule deer uh lots of turkeys in town too but um no we've i've never heard of well, they the you mean from coyotes? I think some people lose their cats once in a while from coyotes, but they, yeah. they tend to, I, I hear them yipping at night sometimes, but they tend to stay out of town um, for the most part. Hmm. I get you. Yeah. Uh, the bigger dogs usually don't have a problem, but I'm talking about like rat terriers, right. you know, little bitty yeah. chihuahuas that no one likes and all that stuff. Yeah. But, I, uh, I've got a little dog. He's a Papillon. And he's, yeah, oh, he's I do too. Out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, back, it isn't a Papillon. It's a Jack Russell. But, oh, yeah. okay. Nice. Your question, I didn't answer the rest of it. You asked me how it compares to the game animals that were up there. There are big game animals up there where we're allowed to we're allowed to hunt moose and black bear. But you, Cade did see it. There's caribou too. Cade saw one. Cade had a close encounter with a caribou. And he, he could have got it if they were open, but we weren't allowed to. Uh, I don't think there's an open season for them right now up there. Or else, I don't know if you're allowed to hunt them in the regular season or they're just their lone participants weren't allowed to hunt them. I'm not sure. Could you imagine you're starving for months and a, an animal out of season walks in front of you and you're like, I'm about to poach. 
That's yeah. just that's that would kill me. Yeah, I felt I felt bad for Cade because uh, you know he called it in. He was calling for most, and the caribou came in, and he's got some really good footage of it too. And he's he's a crack shot with his recurve. He could have. Uh, I know that he would have got it. And that would have been a big game game changer too, right for him. Um, totally. He said it's still just it still bugs him, you know, that he mm-hmm. had that that opportunity in that in the survival situation, but. Yeah, unfortunately, we have to follow the local hunting regs too. But man, I know you said that uh, you grew up with you know shooting a recurve and that sort of stuff. Was there any additional preparation you put into hunting with your longbow before going on this trip, or oh, had yeah. you been hunting with it for several seasons before well, you went? You no, know, I actually don't. I don't hunt with with my longbow and recurve. I, I have I have two. Actually, I have three recurves and a longbow. And I shoot them a lot and I, I like to, I shoot them for 3d competitions. Um, so, you know, I'm, I know that I'm, I'm probably good enough, but bow hunting around here. I mean, there's, there's no farm. I don't hunt farms. Like I'm, I'm hunting in the bush, like bush in the whitetail, uh, world. It's the opportunities are few and far, far between. So usually I get one opportunity a year and that's sitting from sometimes months you know, and I get one opportunity and, uh, I don't want to limit myself. It's, it's hard enough with a compound. Uh, and I go through, I went through, I think three seasons without getting anything. So, um, I like to, I don't want to make it any tougher than it is bow hunting with, with a longbow. And plus the part of me too, is like, you know, if I'm warmed up and I'm calm and all that, and I'm thinking straight and, you know, my, I'm pretty comfortable with my shot and my long road up to 20, 25 yards. But, you know, I get so excited and, uh, I, my, my heartbeat is just coming through my, like right through my throat. And I get, I just, I, you know what it's like, right. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I worry that I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the focus required for instinctive shooting with a longboard recurve. So, I like to be, and I've shot my compound so many tens and thousands, or maybe hundreds of thousands of times that it's just I draw and the and the bow just kind of goes off without a lot of thought process because my body is so trained, and the, I, the bow goes off and I, and I watch the arrow disappear, but I'm not at that stage with a with a longbow. So par- partly for the ethical reasons, I want to make a quick killing shot, and partly because my opportunities in my area because you know there's there's lots of area i'm hunting there's no baiting you know it's just you need to you need to either call in a whitetail or call in an elk and you might get one one chance a year right so if he's at 30 yards or even 25 yards with a longbow then he's he's gonna walk right but and i and i like eating i like eating deer meat throughout the year so recurve's a different animal we tried to take a, a bow fishing reel and hook it onto a recurve and walk walk the creek behind uh my mom's house we probably went i don't know one for 55 on <laughs> shooting gar and oh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's difficult it's very difficult and most of them weren't but i don't know five yards away or less oh. <laughs> it's very hard to hit them yeah is it is it because the refraction in the water you have to aim aim at it we learned that slower. pretty quickly yeah i yeah. think you have to lame aim a little bit lower but but yeah. i mean even if you picked out a spot where you wanted to aim like i'm not hitting it that's for dang sure yeah so so my some of my prep uh my preparation for the show is i really i really learned worked on my gap shooting um 
gap shooting. Do you guys are you familiar with gap shooting? With a gap shooting is just uh, you're you're using the tip the tip of the arrow as as a sight, mm. and you and you memorize how far below you memorize the gaps to hold below your target or above your target at certain distances. And I found that really helped my, you can be quite accurate with that. Um, so I, I, I did, I shot every day from the time I found I was on the show till the day I launched in, in uh, Ranger Lake. Kate and I did a lot of shooting together um, at the practice range in, in camp before we went out. They had a couple of, they had a 3d animal there and a couple other targets. Um, yeah. Everybody, everybody was shooting. I think everybody brought a bow this year, right? trying to think yeah everybody everybody brought a bow so we were all shooting together which is kind of cool and, the, uh, the recurve stuff is so tough i shot my first recurve buck this year and oh, i shot him yeah i shot him at like 17 yards shot him in front of the shoulder hit him like right in the neck but i hit the jugular so he ran oh, like 100 yards a and little bit lucky yeah a lot of bit lucky <laughs> yeah i don't uh, want to say that <laughs> thank you no Be but blunt. So on this particular hunt, if you shot a buck a certain size, they gave you another tag because it was a it was an army plant. So they had their own management within the plant. So, oh. yeah, they gave me another tag and I went out and I called the buck in on the ground and he ran. He walked into 30 yards. And with my compound, that is I'd shoot 10,000 out of 10,000 times. He was yeah. standing there at 30 yards, just broadside and he was just shaking. It was raining. All oh, the yeah. water was coming off his pelt. And I, he was just. Shot. Yeah, he was just there at 30. I'm like, gosh, he looks 100 yards away. Like, I, I, know. Couldn't, I couldn't I do know. anything about it. I just watched him. I snort wheezed him. He'd look back, wouldn't come any closer, and I just had to watch him walk away. And I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. But imagine the feeling, the feeling that, that uh, you know, the, I mean, I know how excited I get when I, when I find my animal after I, I get it with a piece of archery equipment. Like, that feeling would be even more amplified with a traditional bow. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I, I am gonna do it. Uh, just not yet. <laughs> well, it's interesting when you were talking about the pin gapping stuff because you know you have to aim a certain uh, a certain a bit higher at twenty five yards, and you do it twenty, and you're thinking I've been anticipating some of that. Yeah. And then it's interesting too because with whitetail, especially especially the ones that we're hunting, like a lot of them are switched on, so they're ducking pretty hard as you shoot. I'm also happens in the southern states a lot. A lot yeah, a yeah. lot. And I'm sitting I there thinking deer are starting to look up in really heavily hunted areas. Oh yeah. <laughs> Seems like yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're on to us. Yeah, yeah, they're on to us. But it that that equation would mess me up when I was shooting in my backyard because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm dead on at 25, but what if the deer ducks? Do I need to aim like he's at 20? You know, I just started to get into that rhythm in my head. Yeah. And uh that was a I eventually just went on my hunt and I was like, I'm just going to have to shoot at one and see. I don't, I don't know. I'll just do it yeah. the best I can. Yeah. Cool. So we talked about the longbow. You brought a longbow, correct? Yeah. So that was one out of nine items or did they count the arrows as, as different? No. So your longbow quiver, nine arrows and your broadheads. And that, that's all one item. Bow and arrows mm -hmm. is, is one, one of your 10 items. Yeah. How long did it take you to, uh, I guess, put together your list of 10 items? Not that long. Uh, I, I wavered a little bit, but no, it's uh, it, it wasn't too bad because the only thing I really wondered about was an axe uh, because I had a saw, a really good silky saw, right? They're, they're incredible, those silky saws. They just, they're so sharp. 
and they just melt through wood really easily. And I thought, but the, the what what allowed what my final decision that made me bring an axe was getting through the ice side ice fish if I made it until mm. if I made it to freeze up and 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 I did and it could have it could have played a role right. Um, no one caught any fish through the ice in the season because it when when it froze. Uh, the only place we were allowed to go on was an area that I knew there weren't a lot of fish. It wasn't where I was fishing. It was fairly shallow and that it was like the shallow end of the bay. And, uh, you know, it was maybe eight to 10 feet deep there. And I was, I still fished giving it a try, but I knew I'd never seen any fish jump there. I'd never seen any, any otters there or any, any ducks going after minnows, nothing. They were all in a different, and they were all in the deep water. And, uh, it actually, the safety team, the, the day that Lisa, my wife, came to get me and they took me out of there, a member of the safety team said, oh, your ice fishing spot is, is ready. Now, like it was so the day that it was over was the day that they would have allowed it, the ice was thick enough for me to uh, go in my preferred area where it was deep, deep, like, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 feet sort of deep. Right. So, yeah, they don't let you go on go on the ice unless they know it's deep. It's it's safe. Right. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good. Otherwise, there'd be people, you know, they don't want you to die on the show. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Probably a little bit of a liability for sure. Doing all this prep work and all that, uh, what was your expectation beforehand? And then what was the reality check you got, like, as soon as you got dropped off? Uh, that's a good question. I didn't really know what to expect, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Like I, I really worked on a lot of mental preparation. Like I, I was expecting a lot of suffering. I was expecting hardship. I was expecting not to eat for a long time. So I wasn't, and, and it was nice. Like when we got dropped off, it, it, if you watch the episode one there, when they dropped us off, it was a, it was a bluebird day, man. It was so nice and calm and they dropped me off on the spot. So he, everyone was feeling pretty good on day one because it was, it was warm. Uh, like once I got my, my temporary shelter made up, like I was sweating, I went for a swim. And, uh, so yeah, it was pretty desolate. Like my, my spot, there was, it was just a lot of rock and moss. It's on the Canadian shield, right? I was and the trees were very small. Um, cause you know, there's no, there's no soil for them to grow. in. the, I was, the trees were smaller than I expected, and no, it was it was pretty good. I wasn't feeling, I didn't feel any way. I didn't feel like, oh my god, this is nothing like I thought. And but at the same time, I wasn't like, oh, this is what it's like. There is an element of drop shock that participants talk about, and I do remember feeling like, wow, this is it. This is all. This is uh, it all <laughs> comes down to this moment. You know what? You watch the boat take off, and you're and you're feeling, and you really are alone. Like a lot of people that even have heard of the show aren't really a hundred percent sure that there's no one else there. Like sometimes they think there's maybe some one guy there filming or there's somebody there that can help you with, but there, you know, there, there's nobody there and uh, you don't see anybody for weeks. Sometimes like the whole time I was out there, I only had two medical checks in 66. Oh, really? Days. I thought they did but, medical checks every week. I don't really? know if I'm talk about this but uh <laughs> my, my, my first medical check was on day 23 wow my first one yeah and my second one was in the 40s and then the last one was fake i'm not counting that one because my wife was on the beach 
So <laughs> it, it was just for drama, right? The last one. That's how they they got me out and the team there to film that it was it was a med check. But it would have been about that time where it had. I don't know, but but uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, a lot. I, I read that a lot online that you know, oh, they're checked on every couple of days. It's not. It's not true. Uh, there's long periods of time where you don't where you don't seem to. But I mean, you have to, you know, drop off your your batteries and stuff. But uh, those are just sometimes you just put them on a bag on on the beach, and uh, mm-hmm. boat will come up and they'll and they'll switch them without even seeing anybody, right? So you have a new a new bag of batteries for your camera. And yeah, I mean, they, they're not hiding this part. Like they don't, they, this isn't a secret. There's no real secrets. Like, I mean, they show the battery packs in our shelters. Like you can see them. We just have this, like, it's like a car battery thing. We can plug our, our headlamp in at night and, and our, our tap out equipment to charge up so we can always tap out when we want to. So, yeah. Well, Did that, that... That, that was kind of a roundabout answer to that question. Did I answer it? <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I did. think you right, did. The uh, babbling. Well, that's the camera guy aspect is one of the aspects that I think was unbelievable in some of the other shows. It's mm-hmm. there's two people Bear sitting there starving, and, like and then there's a camera guy that's sitting there filming them. It's like so the camera guy's just gonna walk away and eat and then come back and film again, or how does that work? I was just thinking. I've always thought about that. That would be torture. A guy sitting there yeah. starving, oh. and then there's a camera guy that obviously is not gonna starve with him. Yeah, no, there's there are, there's no camera guy. I mean, when they do medical checks, the camera guy comes out, you know, and he's filming the medical checks. And sometimes there's an interview and stuff. But like at the end there, when like that was just uh, sometimes the field producer would come out and interview, like, you know, how are you feeling? What are you missing? You know, how's food procurement going? Things like that. Yeah. So how long did it take you to adjust to everything? I mean, because you went from being a school teacher, you know, and like, I mean, having a phone, everything at your fingertips mm-hmm. to completely being alone and having, you know, not the modern diet. You have to hunt, actually hunt for your food. And I mean, it, it, it all depends on you. You know, you can't just go to McDonald's and grab a Big Mac and a large yeah. fry and carry about your way. So I guess how long did it take you to adjust? What was that kind of like? Well, all these things we knew, you know what I mean? Like I, I was expecting to be hungry. Uh, I gained a bunch of weight for, for the show. Um, and I started out pretty lucky with, with food uh, pr- procurement. Like on the first day I got there, I carved a lure and I caught a fairly large pike and it had another pretty big burbot stuck in his throat. They didn't, they didn't show that. They only show, they can only show a fraction of our time while there. We're supposed to be filming eight hours a day. You know, and the whole show, there's there's 11 episodes and 10 people. So they're only taking, you know, a sliver of what you did out there. So they didn't they didn't show the first fish. Uh, then I caught another big fish second night. And then I caught another fish on day three. So I actually had more fish than I knew what to do with the first couple of days. And I was like forcing fish down. I wasn't even hungry. I'm like, oh, and I don't really like fish that much to begin with. It's okay. I like Uh-oh. it fried. I like it breaded and deep fried. With oh, who like, doesn't? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and but so, but I was, I, I knew I was going to boil everything in my pot because I didn't want to lose any of the fatter oils from the fish. So I'm eating this boiled fish, you know, uh, and I wasn't even hungry yet because I'd gained so much weight before. But then after day three, I didn't catch a fish for 11 days. It did, the lake just shut off. And so that's when, that's when it became real. 
after at first I'm like, this is going to be so easy. I'm catching the fish every time I go down, go down to the water and it's so warm out and I haven't thought about preserving my fish yet. You know, I had to eat it all quite quickly. It only lasts probably a day before, before it go bad. But then I realized, okay, I didn't catch a fish this day, that day. So it, it was a long time. The fishing just shut off and I was experimenting with different lures. And, and there's a part in the show where I do this, this cry and they played it in the beginning. I was like, yeah, I do this huge scream. That was the fish that broke my 11 day dry spell. And it was about, I don't know, five or probably five or six pound lake trout. So, but after that, the fishing was fairly regular. I was catching fish reasonably regularly. And uh, I want, then I started that one night, I had a four fish night. And that's, that's when I knew I had to start smoking. So I, I built a smoker and I started preserving the fish. I don't know. When did it get? And so, see, I got distracted by a question again. When did <laughs> no, it become real? No, I think everyone was so prepared and everyone was expecting this stuff, you know, like you were, you have some initial periods of shock, but then you just kind of snap into this. I, I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else, but I just kind of snapped into this mode. It's like, I'm here. This is amazing. This is a once in a lifetime experience. The weather was fairly good. You know, it got cooler at night and we had it rained for maybe two or three days at one point at the beginning there. But I don't remember being awful or anything like that. Like uh, I was just fishing, exploring, trying to find a place to build, build my show. I was, I was locked in, man. I was focused. It wasn't like I was uh, freaking out or, or, Oh my gosh. Cause I think everyone prepared themselves for that moment to, so you wouldn't feel that way. I know we, we all had a moment of that, but I think most, for the most part, contestants are excited and just want to get started you know Mm -hmm. yeah i know for a fact i wouldn't be cut out for that because i mean i'll pack like eight little debbies before like a morning hunt and then i'll set till (laughs) noon and of course i'll just have wrappers you know just stuffed in my bag and i and when i get back to camp that's all i'm thinking about is food and so what's what's a little debbies a little oh you don't know what little debbies are no is it a southern american thing uh it's it's an american thing that is america is is like a chocolate debbies. brownie yeah. or uh, <laughs> like a peanut debbies. butter yeah yeah you heard of little debbies? think oh. of diabetes in a uh in a wrapper <laughs> and that's what it oh, is. oh yeah is it like a ding dong or something exactly yeah. yeah similar to that yeah okay yeah they come in all shapes and sizes though <laughs> we nice. love little debbies <laughs> yeah one of the things i've i've thought about too and i think what I've, I've watched several seasons of the show and it seems what breaks a lot of folks is like the relational aspect of it, of like them thinking about their wife or thinking yeah. about kids or thinking about what's happening while they're absent from their home. What kind of mental preparation did you have to do on that side? Like, do you have a conversation with your wife? You're like, Hey, if it takes oh, yeah. 200 days, it's going to be 200 days and I'll see you then. Or how does that work? Well, see my kids, my kids are growing up. Well, my son is 22 and my daughter's 18 and they were, my daughter was in grade, grade 12. So you guys say 12th grade. Mm-hmm. And my, my son is, it was at university. So they're, they're old enough to whatever dad's gone for a couple months. Big deal. You know, you know what I mean? And, and my wife uh, was totally supportive and behind me the whole way. And they didn't want me to come home till I was ready. My wife was working every day and my daughter's going to school. And my kids at university. It's not like they're little kids. They're, you know, they're pretty self-sufficient at the time. And yes, I miss them and, and everything like that, but they, they were older. You know, that was definitely an advantage for me. I was just at the stage of my life. I was, I turned 52 when I was on the show. So I was like at a stage in my life where 
you know, my, I'm not, I don't have young kids. Um, don't have a young family. And, uh, it was easier for everyone, me included, just to be away for a short period of time. So that was definitely an advantage. And I knew that if I ever went, if I went home early and I was upset about going home early, then they, they what did you come home for? You're home already. You know, mm-hmm. they, they weren't expecting me to come home. And that, that gave me strength out there for sure. Knowing that everything was good at home and they're going to be fine without me for two or three months, whatever it takes. Yeah. Well, they didn't know you're living in luxury because didn't you build yourself like a little lakeside cottage or something <laughs> like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's got quite a few views on YouTube, that little clip they put on there. Yeah. Um, I said, yeah, no, I got to kick that, out of it. What, you know, I, I tried to be myself and try to be a little bit silly because I thought about that. Thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a funny little skit because sometimes the the producers like that too, right? And I and I thought it would be kind of funny. And yeah, it was just that was my 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 teepee that I built under the guidance of uh, the the Cree that came and visited us at camp. And uh, that's not the shelter I'd practiced. Like I, I actually I built a, a shelter on a pencils. Um, like this, the, the design that I was going to make with, with my little chimney and all that stuff. And, and it would have worked well too, because the trees are there with the perfect size for that. But I talked to one of the Cree elders and go, what kind of, what kind of shelters do you utilize in this area? And he told me all about the, the teepee. Like when they're at, when they're at moose camp, this is, you know, they, they, they just get a bunch of poles, string them together at the top. There's very little lashing. You just have to lash the first tripod. Right. And there's tons of moss in this area. You can roll it up like a carpet. And then uh, I put some branches over top and he showed me how to break off branches and make a nice floor. And you just have a fire in the middle. And I I like the idea of that simplistic fire pit just because, you know, smoke is an issue, burning down your shelter is an issue and people's fire pits don't work well all the time. And and I like the idea of just having your fire in the middle of the teepee and the smoke just going out the hole in the top. And it it worked out. Um, There were some things I had to sort out with that. Uh, like I was, I mean, my teepee was basically a giant Tinder bundle. You know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. very flammable. And at the more fires I had, the drier and drier it got as it was going up. And I just, so I, I built like a filter out of green to, cause, to keep the sparks from touching. So I built a, a like a, a branch filter near the top. So the smoke would go through, but the sparks would hit the green, the green. And I'd replace them every once in a while once it started drying out. And that, that helped. Pretty, and I, but it didn't have fires in my in my teepee till after day fifty, right around day fifty when it got cold. I did all my cooking outside, and I just went in there to sleep at night. And it was warm enough that I didn't need to light a fire in there. It wasn't until it got cold. Day fifty to sixty six is when I had fires in there, and I only had it for cooking, to warm up my shelf before I went to bed, to heat up my rocks, to put in my sleeping bag. Because in a teepee, there's one big disadvantage about having a fire is. You can't have a smoldering fire. You can't, you know, bank it with wet wood or because you need that. You need the uh, the hot air to push the smoke out the top. If it's smoldering, it's not hot enough to push that smoke mm, out and it fills the smoke. smoke. Yeah. You, you, you need to have a, a crackling, good hot fire going to be smoke free in there. And when it's crackling and going, your teepee really is pretty much smoke free. It just rips right out the top. But you got to keep it going. You got to keep feeding it. And that black spruce up there, terrible firewood. 
didn't throw a lot of heat and a bird like that it's gone it's not like <laughs> you guys have all the hardwoods down there you have what you got oak and oak and yeah dairy and and all those great long burning hot woods man that would have been nice having that that fire was i've been using the new exodus rival cell camera for the last couple months and i have found a beautiful mainframe eight point with tons of stickers to go after this fall Ooh. One thing I do appreciate about Exodus trail cameras is all of the cameras share the same data plan, so you only pay for what you need. A lot of cell cam companies charge you for HD pictures. I've seen prices of $5 for 50 HD pics. Exodus is gonna give you unlimited HD pictures right to your phone, which is awesome when you're sitting there in the middle of the summer and it's 100 degrees and you just wanna binge a bunch of trail cam photos. If you're looking for a solid cell camera with great performance and a five-year no BS warranty, go check them out. So as we all know, hunting gear is something people can make way too complicated. Arrows can be the exact same way. Instead of going down all those rabbit holes, trying to sift through the endless information that's online, and you're not really sure if it's right or wrong, Exodus makes it simple to get the right arrow for your exact setup. So go online to the Exodus Arrow Builder. It takes less than a minute. You're gonna enter your draw weight, your draw length, and how heavy of a point you're shooting. And it's gonna be that simple. Let the guys at Exodus take care of the rest. So if you're interested in Exodus rival cell cameras or a new set of their MMT arrows, just go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and use code HA15 for 15% off anything on the website. Once again, that is exodusoutdoorgear.com. Use code HA15 at checkout for 15% off. Now let's get back to the podcast. Well, I've seen it. I've seen it on the show uh, several times where like someone in deep into the show accidentally lights their shelter on fire and they're like hitting the tap out button as soon as a fire like sparks on their shelter. I've seen a couple that have burned down. They're like tap out immediately. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have a lot of choice. Um, I think that's something I would have done if I if I if I go back. If there's like an all star seasons or something, uh, I I'd have a backup shelter built, just a little one, just enough to get me through. You know, um, that night, like I'd build a, a small shelter. I'd have firewood in there ready to go. I'd have something to help keep me warm, whatever I could have gathered there, like more branches or lots of moss, something just so I could make it through. And so wouldn't necessarily mean that I was automatically out, out of the game. I saw in a clip too, why you, why you went with the TPE versus other shelters is, is the main reason that you see people going too complicated on a shelter and they expend too much energy making one or what was the reason? Yeah, just ease, ease of build. I mean, you've seen numerous times and seasons when people spend, too many calories uh, building a shelter and not focusing on getting food and other things that needs to be done. So I wanted just a quick, easy shelter uh, that would, that would keep me warm enough. And one that was just didn't take a lot of my time and energy. Cause I wanted, I wanted to get food. Like my, my first and foremost, my, my goal was getting as much food as I could. Cause I, you can't win without eating. You know what I mean? And I just, I wanted to last as, as long as I could. And I wanted to just embrace the whole experience. You know what I mean? And after talking to that guy and the teepee, I thought, man, I gotta, I gotta do it. And, and I found, so it was in my mind and, and I found the spot where it was like, like kind of like a, a little clearing and it was covered in these, it was covered in moss and it had all the perfect trees very, very close by. I'm like, wow, I could get this teepee up. I hardly have to move anywhere. I don't have to haul trees far. All the moss I need is right here. 
this is perfect. I'm just going to build the teepee and I'll just stack it up. Uh, once I get the moss on, then I'll, I'll just pile all the, all the trees, the tops of the trees that I cut off. So I just piled it up to mostly keep the snow off. And as, as insulation, the snow kind of, I wanted the snow to stick and it did. And it uh, helped, helped insulate. And I only, the, my teepee was probably a bit too big. I, again, I'd make it a bit smaller if I did it again, but I only tarped the section where I was sleeping under. Um, and it was pretty much waterproof. It rained for three days and there were drips through my teepee where I didn't have the tarp, but that moss was probably 89, well, 90% effective against waterproofing. It was pretty good. So did did you pick any area? I know you talked about the little clearing. Was there anything, any consideration to like thermal cover, like being in a little bit of a bottom where the wind isn't howling or were you up on a hill or? No, it was mostly the wind, Eric, because I know that that place was super windy and uh, that made a huge difference in my location. Like it could be ripping wind. I mean, scary wind. Like when you get down to the beach and it'll knock you over like and uh, the area where I was, it was in this little, it was in this little bottom, and it had so many trees around, it, and the trees were so close together. My tarp barely moved during the windiest times there because it all, it all shot over me. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Really lucky with the wind. Well, we've noticed that on hunt, when we're hunt, we hunt in the mountains uh, down in Oklahoma and Arkansas and stuff, and yeah. it's like one guy can be up on a on a ridge and they are whipping in a tree oh, and then yeah. one one guy's down on a bottom it's like oh, i haven't even felt a breeze yet like this yeah. is great down here so i figured that would be something something mm-hmm. you guys would consider yeah it, was, it, it worked out really worked out that shelter spot it was good and i liked le- like i liked not hanging out there all day so i'd 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 leave in the morning and i had like a day use area that was really close to my number one fishing spot and that's where i built my smoker i had my little you know, where I sat, I had a fire pit, another cooking area. And that's where I hung out through, through the day. So it was nice having different areas, one to hang out with, because being in the same spot all the time, I think would be a little bit tougher on the mental game. Because um, I know at the end, when it got really snowy and cold and the lake froze over, I did spend a lot more time in my shelter area. And I wasn't as as happy mentally, not having more than one or one or two spots to move around in and spend your time and yeah. So how much is it survival skill and how much is it mentally? Like, because I know a lot of people might have just as much skill or knowledge as you, but if their mental game isn't right, it just seems like the way the show goes. Then, mm-hmm. I mean, those are usually the first people that, that tap out. Well, so if, if you're getting food, if you are getting food, like it, then that's when the mental game can really, I, I think play plays a big part, but, when you're not getting food and you're starving out, you know, the, you, you, you got to tap out. Uh, and I don't think no matter how strong you are mentally that you have to stay like, Oh, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. You can't stay if you're not eating, if you're expending calories and, and hunting or, or building your shelter and, and you're not eating, you're, you're not going to last. You start feeling sicker and sicker and sicker. So, but it's the people that, that are able to get food and just uh, enough food anyways to, to like, you know, not get pulled out of the game. Um, that's when the mental game I think comes in more. Uh, I don't know what percentage it, it would be. Jeez. 
it, it's a lot near the end. It is because it gets it gets pretty dark, dark days, man. That's what I called them. Like I said, when it got cold and <laughs> you're spending all the time in your shelter, I said, oh, we're into the dark days of the game now. This is where it starts getting tough, and you got to you know bite down and just grind through each day and and just keep going as long as you. Can. I, I'd already I'd always made myself a promise that as long as I had food. I was not going to tap out. So I had this, I had a pretty big bag of smoked fish for a long time. I had fished till at one point, well, I think on day 48 or whatever, I, I had fished till half a fish a day till day 68. And so I knew that I was going to stay till that long. If I didn't, if I didn't get pulled out, if I didn't get hurt or whatever, I, I knew I was going to stay till, till 68. Because when I when I left on day sixty six, I still had two big slabs of fish, and it may have just fasted for one day or two days, because I because I knew that at any time, at any time, somebody could be tapping out any one of my competitors, whoever was left. So I know you said you went eleven days without catching a fish, but I assume you ate something, whether yeah. whether you foraged or whatever. But how yeah. long was it? I guess what was your longest fast? I uh, think about, I think I said it on there. Uh, uh, Cause I remember that I caught the fish those first three days. So mm-hmm. I, I had, I think I only ate maybe two of those in the first two days. So I had, I did have fish for a few days after that. And then I know I, I, I killed a couple of squirrels and a few grouse and there were berries and I was eating birch fungus and uh, alder cones so I was eating, but I think the longest I went, I can't remember if I said four days, maybe four days. Yeah. But, but no, no, there actually there was, I don't think any days where I didn't eat something, but it was like, you know, some birch fungus and some alder cones that didn't really, you, my body didn't really digest them anyways. Or, or I'd always have, I'd always have a, could find a few handfuls of berries. Uh, my site didn't have very many berries, but, there, I don't think there was any day when I didn't eat something. There's also reindeer moss that I ate too. I they never showed any of that though. Like I, I, I think they showed a few people eat it. I think they showed Melanie making it. I boil up some reindeer moss. You had to boil it three times to make it edible, and I, and I'd eat that. So I always ate something. But um, there were maybe three or four days where I was eating very little, and it was all just vegetation and berries and not really filling the void and i could feel myself feel getting that really empty feeling in my gut but it wasn't that bad man honestly your body gets used to not eating like i don't have a lot of horrible memories about having that empty gut feeling uh what i did have was food fantasies like i'd wake up near the like <laughs> like day probably in the late 40s into the 40s and from the 40s on I'd wake up at night and I'd be dreaming about certain, like the food fantasies were super, super intense. Like you'd ne- I can't even explain them to you unless you, you went that, you know, eight, 500 calories a day for 60 days. You know what I mean? So Hawaiian pizza, man, number one, that was my number one craving. I'd wake up. I, I could like smell it. I could, I could imagine what it was like biting into the pineapple. You know, when you open the pizza box, Oh yeah, and you slip your hand under that crust. It was kind of hot and moist, (laughs) and I was like fantasizing all about that stuff. It was crazy. It was almost making me 
I enjoyed it, but I, it made me crazy a bit too. Like, oh my God. And then, then I really crave, and I don't even eat them that much at home, like peanut M&Ms. There was something about peanut M&Ms, that cruncher or the tactile experiences of grabbing the handful and oh, yeah. the noise they make or something. There was something weird about my body wanted M&Ms and then Doritos. Sweet Chili Heat Doritos was uh, <laughs> was the third one that was making me nuts because that you know that crunch and they're so greasy and fatty like there's literally a day's worth of calories in one bag uh, for a grown man. <laughs> there's like over a thousand calories or fifteen hundred calories in one of those big bags. So I was craving that a lot too. And uh, yeah, I mean if you watch the finale when I, d- I talked about Doritos in the in the finale when my wife was sneaking up behind me and they're asking me how I was doing. I said, I'm struggling with the food fantasies. I said, Doritos, if any of you guys had a bag of Doritos right now, your lives would be in danger. That's what I, that's what I said to the crew. And then Lisa tapped me on the shoulder right after that. So that was pretty cool. That's uh, yeah. Doritos are probably a little bit, uh, a little bit better than that leather fungus that you were talking about. Right. <laughs> right yeah. Leather fungus. <laughs> Yeah, I can oh. chew it. Yeah. I mean, it's called strop, birch strop fungus. Like, because in the old days, people used to strop their knives on it to sharpen. That's how tough it was. So, that's the thing that would get me is, uh, which I know you did a whole bunch of studying beforehand, but just what to eat and what not to eat. And then, I mean, I don't know how it is, but I'm sure your mind's kind of playing games with you, like, you know, but I want to eat something. So, yeah. Is that risk worth the reward? And almost like the like uh, you smoking the fish and stuff to, to preserve it. Again, it, it would probably be, you know, a YouTube video and a couple tries doing it before you get it right. But I think if you do those wrong, obviously it could make you sick and probably, you know, give you the runs and then you get dehydrated. And then, you yeah. know, I guess you kind of get yourself into a pickle. How do you go about that when when uh, weighing your options, you know, for the risk versus reward? Well, uh I, I didn't want to take, and I talked about this in the show quite a bit too. I, I didn't want to get taken out of the game for doing something stupid. So I, I didn't drink out of the lake very often. I boiled all my water. Okay. Cause that was one easy way to eliminate getting uh, giardia or whatever. Right. So I boiled my water once in a while during the day. I'd stick, I'd find a deep part where I'd stick, I'd like wait on the rocks and I'd take a little slurp off the top of the water in the midday on hot days, but I boiled probably 90% of the water that I drank out there. That's one thing I did. Um, another thing was, uh, like when I, when I smoked my fish, I wasn't always a hundred percent calm because some of it I had for three weeks before I ate it. See, that's um, crazy. Yeah. But no, the smoking was incredible. It worked really well. So I, I didn't just eat it smoked. So not only, so I just kept it from rotting. I'd also boil it after I smoked it. So I smoked it and in case it, in case there was some bacteria in there, in case it didn't smoke it deep enough through, I boiled it just to make just a, one more precaution not to get sick. Uh, what else did I do out there? Um, I was kind of careful when I was chopping wood. Uh, like I'd, I'd always go on my knees when I'm using my axe. Uh, I always put on my gloves when I use, when I use my saw when I, most of the time when I remembered just so I just all these little precautions to not take myself out of the game and another thing was mushrooms I studied mushrooms I had quite a few in my mind I studied pictures 
and there was mushrooms everywhere when I got there. And I was 90% sure they were hedgehog, hedgehog mushrooms. And they were. I could have eaten them because other guys did too. And I'm, But I, I, I'm like, I wasn't positive. It didn't look exactly like the picture. They looked bigger than what I studied. I'm like, these are too big. But they had all the hedgehog <laughs> formations. I mean, expert mushroom, world-renowned mushroom pickers, mushroom scientists poisoning themselves sometimes, right? Yeah. So I was, I was too, I didn't eat a single bite of a mushroom out there, even though they were at the beginning, I could have eaten quite a bit. I said, nope. And, and I knew that there wasn't a whole lot of calories in mushrooms. So that's another reason I didn't, but I just too scared, man, too scared of mushrooms. <laughs> I wouldn't have a problem out there with vegetables. I don't eat those even out here. So <laughs> there'd be anything. Yeah. There'd be anything I'd grab. Like I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'll keep hunting. Yeah, I'd I'd like to talk about the hunting aspect. I know you didn't get any any big game down on the show, but you brought you brought your longbow. Uh, you brought yeah. I think it was three small game heads and then six uh, regular game heads. By the way, were those VPA broadheads that you brought with you? Cutthroat. Cutthroat. Okay, I saw those. He brought some single bevels, and I saw them. They looked they looked very similar. They're, um, they're, didn't VPA? Aren't they very? Didn't one buy out the other company or something? Or uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, BPA still in the center of that. I have some three bladed BPAs too, uh, as well. But no, they're 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 cutthroat. They're the tool steel model, the one the really hard steel. Because I knew if I missed, I didn't want to. I didn't want them to break or yeah. chip an edge. So I I spent I spent the money to get these uh, really good. And I didn't lose any of them. I still I never I never shot one. They're still. I'm gonna hunt with them this this year. Um, yeah, they're 125 grain cutthroats. The the S7 okay. teal, stu, tool steel ones, really hard metal. Yeah. So you you bring three of the small game heads, which is kind of the blunt tips, and then the the exaggerated feathers, right? Because they slow down quite a bit when they're in the air. Yeah. You don't lose them as easily. So yeah. what was a uh, what was small game hunting like with your with your longbow? Because we were just talking earlier, it's hard to hit a freaking deer at 20 20 yards. It I mean, is. let alone a squirrel with a longbow. Yeah. I, I got two squirrels right when I got there. Um, there weren't that many in my area because I had I had a whole bunch of pine martins. Like I caught one in my snare. Have you guys ever seen a pine martin before? They're like a mm-hmm. giant weasel. They're they're like about they're like that big. Um, there's there's footage of, of the one I one I snared, and I think they ate a lot of the squirrels. So I got two right away. Then there was a few more in my area, but I realized that there's so little meat on them. Uh, that it wasn't really worth me trudging through the bush because it was like deep moss. Walking through that stuff is like walking through deep snow, getting around the bush. So I was, I'd get all sweaty hunting these squirrels. It was fun. Like I enjoyed hunting the squirrels. Um, so I got, I got two in the first little while there. You know, ate them. And the worst thing I ever ate on the show, the worst tasting thing was squirrel liver. It was the strongest, most disgusting. <laughs> it was, like it had that liver taste, just multiplied by 100 it was nasty but that's yeah, got to only be like one bite though right like oh, the squirrel has got to be tiny yeah oh, it's, t- it's like the size of your your one of your fingernails you know uh it was very small but it trust me it made up for it in, in flavor <laughs> <laughs> uh but and and there were quite a few grouse in my area i think i ended up i only killed five grouse on the show but uh, like I said, the berries were kind of gone in my area, so there weren't as many grouse in my area as some some of the other spots. Um, but I did, I'll admit, I made a mistake in my practice with my bow. Uh, I missed 
uh, too many gr- more grouse than I felt feel comfortable with. I missed some. I missed some really easy shots on grouse, and it's like it's devastating. Like it's hurt me so much when I'm like, oh, <laughs> and you know, you take the feathers off his back or or, or whatever. It's like, no, and they're gone, and you're thinking. That's like two days worth of food. That's like massive chunks of breast meat I'm crammed in my mouth. And then I can boil the car, the skeleton and make a, like boil it down almost nothing. I've got this really heavy broth. It's just, the soup is just delicious. Like, I mean, it doesn't sound good now, but having like a, um, a, a broth like that, that's hot, oily, kind of flavorful broth is really, really good when your body wants it. So the mistake I made was I didn't practice shooting like this way, way up at like an extreme because every shot I had at a grouse, they were way up in a tree at extreme angles. And uh, yeah, my, I didn't practice my gaps enough. So I missed a few more than, than I should have. Uh, so I, if I could go back, I would have built like a little grouse target and put it up in the tree where I had a ladder on my property. I just would have flung arrows just to memorize that gap and just make it really instinctive. Um, to, to be able to, to be able to get them, but uh, so yeah, I, I maybe missed. I killed five. Maybe I missed. I don't know, eight, something like that. And that's actually that's like a lot more time out there, right? I remember one. It was the last girls I missed. He landed on a branch right overlooking the lake. I was probably six yards away, and I swear the arrow disappeared in him, but it just disappeared through his feathers on his back. And then my arrow just disappeared into the lake and that girl just flew away like nothing. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it was pretty intense. Like those, the grouse hunting was fun, but there was so much pressure on your shots. Like, okay, this is because you're so hungry and having that a whole grouse, like a chicken to eat when you're that hungry and you have, don't have any food or plus the change up from fish too, right? Like, Anyway, so when you're eating fish and the thought of having a different kind of meat like that, like that kind of that firmer meat, uh, yeah, it was it, it was good. And that back to that broth, like um, once once I get my fish, I cut the heads off, and I wouldn't eat the fish until I, I so I'd cram two of the big fish heads in my pot, fill up with water, and I'd boil it until like almost like a mush, till the meat was just falling off. I just boil it to get everything out of the heads, all the fat and oils. And then I, and I drink like the soup. It sounds gross, but man, I felt so good after I drank that. It was like, so there was so much fat and so much oil in that water after boiling my fish heads and all the meat would come off the cheeks and stuff like that. kind of, so I really felt like, uh, it was a meal after making fish head soup. Yeah, it was good. That's like when you, when you get sick and stuff, all you want is something warm and hearty and like some sort of some sort of soup so i assume when you're dehydrated and starving that's probably like the best thing ever yeah yeah i I didn't feel i guess i probably was starving but i I didn't like when i look at pictures of myself at the end like god i think i I was starving but i didn't feel that bad you know Uh, near the end i i I started feeling really like just sitting here like talking to you guys i Mm -hmm. felt like i felt like i did now but when if i got up and hiked up a little hill and starts cutting down a tree then i'd be like like no energy like the the weakest lightest headed like really um feeling light in the head dizzy short of breath kind of like oh it's amazing how little energy had as soon as started moving but sitting still you 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 felt pretty good um but I, i was eating 
except for that stint there, I was eating, you know, half of a, you know, three to six pound lake trout a day. And it's like when I had my meal, I felt like, like when you watch it, I don't know if you saw the, this episode, but uh, on, on my birthday, I had an extra, extra piece of fish. I made like a fish birthday cake. It was on October. <laughs> and man, so I guess that was only, when, when did I get out of there? The 19th, 19th. So like 20 some odd days before the end. I, and you, you saw how big, the, how much fish that actually was. Like it, I was actually eating quite a bit of fish a day. It wasn't, they were big fish, like three to six pound lake trout. They're pretty thick. And, uh, you know, of course it wasn't enough. I probably, in order to get the calories that I needed, I probably needed to eat four, four uh, halves, like two and four fish a day to, to mm-hmm. probably get me through without losing much weight. But I think I ended up losing, you know, 1.2 or 1.3 pounds a day, which is pretty standard out for, for the show out there. But I'm a big person too. So, I, you know, my, norm, my normal weight, I'm like six, two and a half and like, you know, my normal weight for me is like around 220 pounds. So, so, so you bulked up to like mid, mid two fifties and you ended it at like one eighty one, right? My final weigh in was two fifty nine, and my, my one whale was one eighty one. So 78. That's pounds. insane. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to ask, uh, um, I'm sure there were days that you, you know, were kind of running your finger over that, uh, SOS button. What was the closest uh, you you actually came to? No, no, I, I never, I no, never came, never came close to tap. And no, I always had food. I always had food, and I, I promised that I wasn't going to tap if I if I had food. I, I get asked that a few, quite a few times, but no, I never, I never considered it. Um, I, I I had a plan. I had a plan when I was going to tap, uh, what time of day I was going to tap. All, all about when, like, to give them time to get me that day. But I wanted to push as long as I could on my tap out day in my mind to let them, if there was anyone else left in the game, to tap out before me. So, so my tap out day was going to be between day 68 and day 70. When Because I, I remember that promise I made to myself, no, no tapping out if you got food. Why would I tap out with all these fish? You know, these two big slabs of fish I have, have left. I mean, I've made it this far. Why can't I make it a couple more days? What's the big deal? I'm, I'm even eating. I'm just sitting. My, yeah, it sucked, but I knew I, I knew I was going to do it. But I, it never it never got to those days. So, yeah. Um, so the guy that got ninth, he tapped out on on day sixty four. Yeah, Wyatt, a good guy. Like when the ninth person taps out. There's obviously a couple buffer days there two for days. them to, to get your family. Two extra nights, so they, they had to get my wife up there. So my so they called my wife. I think why tapped out in the morning, and my wife looked. My wife got a message quite soon after that that are you ready to travel? You know, da da da. When can you get here? <laughs> so she was actually there the next day, but the team didn't want to come get me. Something to do with the weather or the light or something. So they made me stay another day. So Lisa stayed there in camp um, another day before they came out and got me. So they were making you earn that. Uh, that yeah. Five hundred grand. Well, they were, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they, I don't know. I don't know why. why I, maybe they wanted the show to last a day longer. I don't know. I didn't ask that question. Maybe I should have. But it was no. It was no big deal. I was going to stay at least two more days. I think I. 70 has a good ring to it. So even though I'm out of my food on day 68, I think I would have tried 
to push it to the to day seventy sometimes because I, I like the sound of that. You know, mm-hmm. day day seventy. So so sometime between day sixty eight and seventy was my goal, and I was just hoping that I would be able to outlast uh, the other people in in, in the show because I had promised my kids and my wife that I wasn't gonna, you know, I didn't want any long term harm or damage to my teeth or my hair or my skin or my fingernails, whatever, you know, and, and, and I, I had no, no lasting effects whatsoever. Um, I felt good and my blood pressure was good and everything. And I, I didn't have to go to the doctor or the hospital or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, I've had, I actually felt, believe it or not, eating such a clean diet. Like I drank, I drank fresh, clean water, probably the cleanest water you'd find anywhere in the world. Uh, I, and, and fish, Berries, grouse, squirrel, and some teas, some natural teas. I made like, man, I felt like I had the best cleanse of my life. When my wife saw me, she looked into my eyes. She goes, "Oh my gosh, your eyes are so clear. Like my eyes were white, and they and and they're blue." And my, she said, "Even my skin looked good." She, it's on the show. I said, "Oh my god, you know your skin looks good. Your eyes, blah blah blah." And that's when I kind of winked at the camera, being being silly. They, they, they still don't. <laughs> They showed that too. It's pretty funny. And, uh, and I had no knee pain. I had no back pain. Usually my shoulders bugged me at night. I didn't have any of that, but you know, I was definitely light and I could tell like it was starting to hurt to sleep because I was getting so bony. Like when I sleep on my side, my shoulder blade, I could feel it digging into the log Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. So I could tell that I was getting quite thin. And when I looked in the, in the camera, I saw these lines on my face. Like, Oh gosh. I looked like 20 years older than I, than I did. Like when I look at those pictures of me coming with my, with my beard and my sunken in face and, and all the grays coming on my face and stuff. Yeah. I, I looked pretty old. I didn't like it. Like, oh my gosh. But yeah, when you get a little more fat on your face and stuff, you, you, you look a lot better. Was there a, uh plenty of use for that retractable fly swatter that you ended up bringing. I thought that was one of the more interesting things that I'd seen brought on the show. Okay. Listen, that was a joke. I didn't really bring that. (laughs) I was was joking. (laughs) Didn't you read the comments? (laughs) No, I didn't. I, I believed you because here's the thing. I went to Saskatchewan in May and I, I, my guy that I was with was standing back in the trees because he was like, if you get in the trees, the bugs will leave you alone a little more. Those are the worst bugs I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. So I completely believe someone to bring a fly swatter. No, it was uh, that was an eleventh item I was doing. And you know that's my most watched YouTube video. That that one that's got like fifteen thousand <laughs> views or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny people that have known me my whole life, and you know that I'm 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 a I'm a joker. I joke around sometimes like that, and I just did that. I I didn't. I thought you know if I just said it like that, but. I thought me doing like karate fly swatting on the tree kind of would have given it away. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you guys don't know me, right? Like, did you? I, was like, shut, shut, shut. <laughs> I was totally joking, but I get people ask me this all the time. It's like, huh, why would you bring a fly swatter? I'm like, what? come on. But there were, there were a lot of comments about it. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Hmm. That's pretty so. awesome. <laughs> No, I, but I always feel like an idiot because people like think that I'm an idiot for bringing a fly swatter, right? Like, come on, you must have thought it a little bit. It's like, what is he doing? 
Well, I was like, oh, Fleischwater, cool. And then the retractable, I was like, okay, this guy's pushing it. I mean, cancel the podcast. Yeah. The podcast. yeah. What's wrong with this guy? <laughs> That's awesome. So you you were trying to hunt some big game while you were there uh, with with your longbow. Did you ever did you ever get in the midst? I know you said you didn't have any luck. Unfortunately, no. I I hunted moose a lot. Like during the peak of the rut, I would. Uh, I went, I, I hiked down to the end of my bay and there was like a natural tree stand. Like there was a, there was a cliff and I could hike around the cliff to sit on top overlooking a clearing. It was perfect. And uh, it looked like yeah, I had some, you know, shots up to 25 yards and I'd sit there and call and call and call and rake and call. And I had no visitors. And I, I did that quite a few times. Uh, none of it made air because nothing happened. Right. Like the producers say, you know, when you're filming, unless it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, it, it probably not probably not can show it. And my moose hunting had a lot of beginnings, but it had no end. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and bears, I was I was hoping I'd have a run in with a bear. I was just waiting for that to be like a uh, like a, a hunt of opportunity when it would arise when it when it uh, maybe I heard it in the morning or or I had a bear walk by camp or we'd run into each other somewhere. So that's why I always had I made sure I carried my bow with me all the time. They wanted you to film for eight hours a day, but uh, obviously that just was how, the goal. That was right? the goal that they wanted. Yeah, they're not going to be able to fit all of that into. Would you say like eight or eleven episodes? There was eleven episodes. Yeah, eleven. Yeah, yeah. Is there something that that you did that you thought was really cool that uh, they didn't, or I guess didn't make the final cut? Uh, not really. I was I was I was happy with my edit and 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 how they did it. I don't have any really complaints with it. Uh, maybe the thing I thought was a bit surprising in the show was that that pike I caught my first night, and uh, it had that big fish in its mouth that I pulled out like that burger. I thought that was that was kind of cool. And I and I remember saying I said. You know, guys, on day 50, I'd probably eat this. But on my first night, nope. And I whipped and I threw it back into the lake, which was stupid now because I should have used it as bait. But uh, uh, I guess maybe it's, it, this is just, you know, ego. Uh, I Shooting some of the squirrels, like the two squirrels I got were both headshots just by fluke, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I had, I think I had them both on, on video. And a couple... There was, I think it was on day 49. It was the day before winter hit really hard. Um, I was sitting by my fire and a grouse like landed right beside me. And I turned my camera. Like I was cool. I was talking to the camera and this grouse like flew right by and landed. And I got up, I grabbed my bow, I turned the camera and I did this nice stock on it. Took a mulligan. I took the, I I took the uh, feathers (laughs) off his back, had a mulligan, got him. And then I caught two big lake trout. So I had like, I had my, my grouse and two big lakers, but they, they didn't show that either. Other than that, not, not really. No, nothing. Uh, I did a couple other stupid things, funny things that I thought they might've put it on, but uh, like there was this one thing I did with, with a mouse cause I killed a ton of mice in my shelter with a trap I made. And, and I pretended to eat it. You know how you, how you put the camera and you put it. In oh yeah. And you let it slide down the back. I did that a couple of times. I made up a story. My grandpappy always used to tell me, Alan, if you kill it, you got to eat it. So I said, Grandpa, I got to listen to you. And I turned around and I did that. Eat, and I pretend to swallow it whole. I'm like, and I, and I watched it back. I did it like three times. So it looked perfect. 
And I thought they might show that because it was kind of funny. I think most people, well, I don't know, the, with the fly swatter thing, maybe I, lots of people would have believed it, but swallowing his mouth whole, uh, I don't know if they did. I don't know why they didn't show it. Maybe it didn't look as good as I thought it did. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm kind of an idiot. And so <laughs> I guess what I think is funny might not be funny to other people, but just when you were boat, explaining that, yeah, <laughs> just when you were explaining that, I was thinking, you know, what if I left the editors a little bit of a surprise, right? Like when they're sifting through all your footage, what if just so happened they stumbled upon a turd? You know what I mean? Like you, you dropping a deuce or something. I don't know. That's the way my mind works. I would think it's pretty funny, but. No, I was always scared that I left the camera on or, or, or they do have footage of that, but like the game cams, like they have, they have two game cams. Uh, one on, on eat, uh, around our shelter and I actually moved mine because it was facing the door of, of my teepee and in the mornings you know I'd open the door a crack and uh, you know take a leak out the door and I didn't want I didn't want them filming my Johnson every morning you know when, I, when I... <laughs> he's up again <laughs> oh, he's up morning so I so I moved and I told them that they when they came to do a med check or, or a, an interview, they said, oh, you moved your game cap. I go, yeah. And I, that's the exact reason the reason I gave I go, I don't think you guys want to see my Willie every morning. You know what I mean? So they laughed and they let me, they let it on the tree to the side. But I didn't get a lot of game cam footage. Um, nothing, nothing walked by on my camera anyways. Mm. Can you imagine if I've been hunting moose this whole time and then I watch on the show that there's like a massive moose that walked by my camera at night or something like that? Oh, This moose has been coming by Alan's camp every, every night. night. see if he gets it. <laughs> and he hasn't seen a moose. He hasn't even seen the tracks. Yeah. No, I'm glad uh, that didn't happen. So, yeah, the, the bears, I, I did find scat, but once the bears were gone, the bears moved out of my area. But I was hoping I'd have a chance encounter throat because i really a bear would have been perfect because they're small enough and manageable enough that i could probably preserve most of the meat in in my smoker before it went bad i'd probably have to stay up for a couple like not sleep for 48 hours or something i'd just be cutting and smoking i'd probably have two smokers going and i'd just be cutting and smoking and turning and and rendering fat and skinning and it'd kind of it'd be fun like it'd be a hardcore experience but it'd be it'd be awesome dealing with all that um, but if you get a moose, uh, before it was cold enough, that could be like a nightmare. If it was warm and you got a moose down with no buddies and maybe, maybe it dies, you know, five miles from your camp or, or not five miles, but say died even a mile from your camp and it's warm, there's bugs, there's bears. How do you get this, this moose back? Um, it'd be great if it was cold enough, but it didn't get cold enough till, maybe mid-October to stop so you wouldn't have to worry about losing most of your most of your moose that's why I was really hoping for an opportunity at the bear like I know the show is obviously you don't know what's going on with the other contestants and so it, to, to some extent it's an individual battle and I think it has to be but how do you get past the fact that you have no idea at any point in the show who's still in who's still out are you just setting like you said, an individual go, I want to get to day 70. And if I'm the last one, great. If I'm yeah, not, I'm getting that, out then. That's exactly right. That's, that's how I worked it. That's how in my mind I said, okay, I'm going to stay as long as I've got food. And, and uh, you know, I know that I'm catching quite a few fish and I think I have a chance. I started convincing myself I had a chance. Like in, in the forties when I had 
when I had this, like a few good weeks of fishing and, and the smoker was working great and I had all this, all this fish and I wouldn't let it leave my side. I brought it with me wherever I went. It, it hung above my head at night in the shelter. I carried it with me wherever I went because I was really worried about losing it to a marten or a bear or a bird or whatever, right? Um, yeah, that, that was kind of my, my, my mindset was just, I'm going to go as long as I can and, and hopefully it's long enough to, to make it to the end. And uh, I felt fairly confident for in the 40s onwards that I, that I had a shot at it. I did. I felt, I felt I had a shot at it when I made it to the 40s and I had all that fish to last me to, to the late 60s. Yeah. So you stay the 66 days and uh, you get surprised by your wife at the end of it. What's going through your mind? And then also uh, just another add-on question. What's it like adjusting to the modern world, I should say, after uh, mm. being through all that? I, I just felt like... Yeah, it was one of the best moments of my life. And there was just so many different floods of emotion because at that point of the game, I was feeling pretty low. Like, oh gosh, I knew it was almost over whether I won or not. I knew I'd probably done fairly well. So I was feeling pretty good about how I'd done because I didn't think there'd be very many people left because I knew how cold it was and how hard it was. Um, but I didn't know for sure, right? Oh yeah, so I was feeling I was feeling kind of down a little bit uh, near, near the end because I'm spending so much time in, in my shelter every day, like 19 hours in your TP because it gets dark at four o'clock and, and there's nothing really to do because I can't fish yet. And I was just getting firewood. So I'd get up, I'd get firewood, bring it in, cut it, whatever, da, 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 and then, oh, it's almost time to go to bed already, right? So I'd, I'd make a fire. And so the days were long and the nights were really hard. It was super cold. I had a hard time staying warm. And uh, so I'd kind of given up hope in a way I was like, it just seemed like it would never end like every day. But, but then I convinced myself, no, I'm going to have a chance because at any moment, any second, somebody could be tapping out. That's what I kept. That's how I'd push myself forward. Go, no, don't get down. Don't get down. This is going to be over soon. This is short term. So when, so when it was over, it was like, it was a real surprise because I was expecting to be there for, you know, at least another, you know, four or five days or whatever it was and uh or three days four days so it was like i couldn't believe it man i i think what first thing went through my mind was it's over it's over i get to leave this place and be warm and comfortable and clean because there really wasn't a lot of comfort at that point because i was always a little bit cold um you know you're hungry you're weak and it wasn't a lot of fun but just seeing her come up behind me and knowing that it was over and embracing her uh, I didn't even think about the money. Like it was, I was super excited to see my wife because I missed her. And uh, n just the, the, the excitement of going back to camp, having a shower, being warm, having a nice bed and, and just the feeling that I'd won that I'd done it. That was enough. The money I hadn't even think about. I didn't even think about it. Like that came later that I started thinking about it. Um, but it was just the feeling that of accomplishment. I think that, that was the, I don't know if I've ever thought about it this hard before, but I think that's what it was, was the feeling that I, I had done it. All the work, all the, all the lead up, all the suffering, all the positive thinking. And, and don't get me wrong. There wasn't, it was fun till the fifties. Like I think Wyatt says the same thing. Wyatt and I were enjoying it until it got cold. And uh, it was, it wasn't until day 50 to 66 
where the suffering really, really started. Cause man, honestly, it, it was pretty fun. Uh, there was a time every day where I did want to go home. There was a time every day I missed somebody or, and I got down, but it didn't last for long. I could, I could kind of switch. Okay. There's, I feel sad for a minute. Now let's move on and, and, and try to stay positive. But anyways, I'm, I'm straining again. The, the original question was, how did I feel? Oh, it, was, it was just an yeah, incredible no. experience. Just, uh, and then, like the the amount the level of happiness that I felt for days after that was insane. Like that's that I I could just sit there in my little cabin. My wife went home almost right away. She stayed that one night, and then she went home the next day. But just yeah, it was a pretty cool feeling of of accomplishment. And uh, yeah, the money was just kind of a bonus, you know. Oh yeah, well it's so interesting in twenty twenty four. I've I listened to. I've recently started listening to more stuff about health and wellness and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of folks say that the constant pursuit of comfort is what's killing people. Right? I just like, saw that same thing. Where did you watch that? Gary Brecka is who I was listening to. He's like, a, he's a guy who helped Dana White get in shape, but yeah, I was, I'm sure the clips are on Instagram. They're all yeah, over the I, place. I, I, that's funny you say that. Cause that struck me too. It, the constant pursuit of comfort is what is what makes us die young or is what's killing us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me think like what you're doing and what you did, it's about as discomfortable as you can get. And, but there's also got to be some sort of euphoric feeling of like, I feel oh, alive. Yeah. like this is real life. Like yeah. I, what the, we're living in a simulation out here. This is what it like. This is yeah. real. It was an amazing experience and I recommend it to anyone, not that extreme, you know, but going out in the bush for an extended period of time with you know, maybe limited resources, like leave your food home, maybe don't eat as much as you did before. And just, um, feeling, feeling what it's like to be a little bit less comfortable, I think is, is kind of an an enriching kind of experience, experience, you know, Uh, and it's still enjoyable, you know, instead, instead of building, instead of building, you know, or bringing your camper or, or your tent, like just little things like build your own shelter or bring a tarp, an open tarp instead of a, so whatever else you're used to camping in or uh yeah i don't know there's, there's lots of different things that you could do say to yourself i'm going three days and i'm not bringing any food i'm gonna catch my fish i gotta catch my fish but i know i can catch fish on this lake right and it's just it's a pretty cool experience yeah well uh christian and i talk about that quite a bit i, I mean nothing to your extreme and you know we have all the food and and mm-hmm. comfort you could ask for but uh when we go hunt public we you know pitch a I mean, it's, it's luxury, but we, we pitch a 16 by 14 wall tent, you know, and we got a little low, uh, wood, wood stove in there and we got, you know, we sleep on cots. We're not roughing it from like, like a certain perspective, but there is something about being out there. And then where we hunt, there's, it's not the best cell, cell phone service. You know, you get in those mountain ranges and, uh, it just kind of, uh, zeroes out, but you walk up in there no cell phone service except you know just your com- communication if you know, christian's with me or something like that and yeah. your your mind is only on the pursuit okay where's the deer at let's find the deer and then you know you go you sit all day and if you don't see anything you know that sucks hopefully the next yeah. guy did but we have that that social interaction at the end of the day but yeah. at the same time what that does is you're so focused on this goal okay find sign find the deer you know and and do all this at the end of the day you're, you're not thinking about stuff back home you're not thinking about you know work on monday you're not thinking about bills you're not and when i go home you know granted it's only like a maybe an extended weekend trip but when i go home it's like almost like a breath of fresh air like 
you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a step back from everything and it's, and it's so refreshing. So I yeah. can imagine 66 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the second part of your question, I remember now it was, it was the, the readjustment period, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, it wasn't too bad because, you know, you spent 99, I've spent 99.99% of my life in, in, you know, comfort home and that too. So it wasn't too hard to adjust back to it. There were, there were a couple things I had to get used to. Like the first few nights I got back, um, we, you, you don't just go home. I think I, I had to spend at least a week, maybe it was 10 days in refeeding camp um, where, you know, you can't just eat normal food because you you'd end up in the hospital and you get what's called edema. So they had to slowly give you a little bit more food every day because your body's in in a in a starvation mode right so especially for and we we couldn't your body's not good at at digesting carbs once you haven't eaten for a long time it's called being in state of ketosis and that's what my body's in so they had to introduce the carbs back into my system and um but i remember lying the first couple nights i i'd wake up in a panic about my fire like where's my fire what i could get i got to start my fire i've got to heat up my rocks and i'm looking i'm like never mind i got my diesel heater right there and i've got my nice bed you know so uh so i think it happened three nights in a row waking up panicking about my fire and i think after that because I was, it was, it happened slowly, and I, there, the doctor would come in and check my vitals, and then someone else would come in and see how I was doing. You know, they'd ask me all these questions, and I had interviews and stuff. So I was kind of integrated back in slowly, anyways. And then Wyatt and I flew out together back to Saskatchewan or Saskatoon, sorry. And I had a few more days in the hotel there, and uh, yeah, so it was kind of a slow in. in um, reintegration i did notice that once wide and i made it back i was very sensitive to noise we went out to a bar for to have our first normal meal that we could have on our own we i had a like a, a hawaiian pizza and he had he was craving chicken wings we had, had a couple of beers i wanted an ipa and and uh then i could remember just the noise and it's happened for maybe two to three weeks a month afterwards i was, I was a bit more noise sensitive it's like i could hear every little conversation going on in the room around me, almost separate, instead of just one noise, I can almost hear them all individually. It was kind of annoying and I didn't like being in loud situations. It took me, took me a while, but that was it. That's pretty minor. Yeah. And I couldn't go out much because I was so skinny and everybody would have known that I was on a show or, or they would have thought something was wrong with me. Drugs. So- Drugs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, have, yeah yeah drugs or something else yeah for sure yeah that is wild that's a that's mm-hmm. an experience that 99.999 percent of people will never get to yeah, experience it, it, it was amazing i have no regrets about it. it it was it was an amazing i experience i loved it i really did there were times when it sucked yes and i wanted to go home and i was miserable especially in the the last couple of weeks when it was cold Probably the hardest thing I, I faced out there was the cold. Um, talked to Wyatt, same thing. Mikey, same thing. It got so cold. It was this really weird, dry, cold. And our bodies are so diminished at that point anyways. I think it felt colder to us than it really was. Maybe. Uh, just because we were so skinny. You know, we'd lost, we'd all lost a lot of weight. 
And staying warm was definitely tough, especially at night. During the day, you get all your stuff when you're moving around. It's okay. But man, is it tough at night. Well, there there was a winner. I think his name was Juan Pablo. And I watched all that season too. And, Last uh, year, yeah. Yeah. And he, at the end of the show, he literally gets in his shelter and he's like, all right, I'm having a starve off. And he just yeah. does not move for like days. And he just is like, I'm just going to sit here in the cold. I'm not moving. I'm just going to have a starve off. And he wins. Doing yeah, I think it. He, he didn't eat for almost wasn't it like three weeks or something? Like it was, was it something insane. Weeks? He he was yeah. like, I'm not burning any calories. Like he had a little tin can fire in his shelter. I think he was out on the ice. Like, yeah. I just I think about that. I'm like, that's about as miserable as it gets. You're not moving. There's no interaction. Nothing yeah. is happening. I starve off. I guess yeah. not everyone is like that, but that one really stuck out to me. I was like, that is yeah. that's an experience. He just said, I'm just gonna fast for 21 days or I can't remember how long it was. It might not have been that long, but I, th- I think he said he's going to just fast, and, and and he did. He had practiced. He knew how to do it, and yeah, yeah, he he had a he had a strategy to to win, and uh, yeah, he's another Canadian. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you, thank you for nice. doing this. Yeah, no no problem. What time is it? I can't even. I don't have my glasses on. Uh, it's eight fifty-five our time, probably seven fifty-five years. We've been going this long. It goes fast when we're talking on the podcast, eh? <laughs> oh yeah, hour Please. hour forty, easily. Wow. Yeah, well, right on. And, so our folks are going to hear this story and they're going to be really interested in it. They're going to want to follow along. And so I've been watching a lot of your YouTube YouTube channel stuff. Uh, is that the best place for people to check you out and watch your videos and kind of interact? Yeah, with you? If, if you could put a shout out to my YouTube channel, like, can you put up my YouTube channel? That'd be good. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean Share if, it if on they want to? Instagram is yeah. pretty good. Um, it's just Alan underscore Tenta for for Instagram. Um, I yeah, Facebook. I the only reason I post on Facebook is because when I post on Instagram, it automatically goes on to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I I wouldn't even know how to post on just Facebook. Um, yeah, it's just so busy, and there's all these, and I don't really understand all the things. There's all these friend requests. Like, do I accept <laughs> all all the friend requests or only mine? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> I said only mine. Only yours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't, so I've got like, you know, 150 friend requests that I haven't, um, you know, it's like, am I supposed to accept them as friends if I don't know them? Like, I don't know. I'm not, I just got on Facebook. I'm old, right? So social media doesn't interest me. And, and I'm on social media just since the show for stuff like this. And, and I do, I do like Instagram makes sense to me. It's easy, right? It, it makes sense. Post a picture look at your pictures, send someone a message like it. It's good. <laughs> but Facebook, I don't know. It's just not for me. I'm with you. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll share the, the photo and the link to, we'll put the link to your YouTube channel in the description of this podcast, but man, sure. this was really fun. Right on. Great talking with you guys and, uh, yeah, appreciate it. take care. Good luck. Yeah, good of luck course. in your next sentence.